Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. We wanna talk about selfies today. I know some of you are really good at taking selfies. Uh, I was reading a stat that the average, what was that, a thousand selfies are posted on Instagram every 10 seconds. Now what a selfie is, if you're not familiar with it, is when you're able to take a picture of yourself or with a group of people. How many have ever taken a selfie before? Yeah? All right. So I'm not here to condemn you if you take selfies, because I've got to admit, I'm pretty good at it, but I know you probably know somebody that as you look at their social media feed, they've taken a little too many selfies. Do you know somebody that you're just like, you're like, I don't even know if I want to follow them anymore because I don't know why they keep taking pictures of themselves. And uh, it's just kind of a weird thing. Uh, there's, there's a new phenomenon. They, they actually diagnosed it with a name. It's called selfitis. It's when a person takes too many selfies of themselves uh, on, on a regular basis, self-itis. And people now, uh, this is true, you can Google this later, all right? Uh, people are now getting wrist problems because the awkward angle that your wrist has to flex in order to get that right angle, and uh, so it, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to me. And, and I was reading this, that people are being injured now because they just have to take the right kind of selfie. And this is kind of sad, but I was reading one report from a medical journal that said from 2011 to 2017, 253 people have died. They died. They, they were taking a selfie and their life ended. And, you know, I, I would find this hard to believe if I had not personally experienced 
the harm that selfies can do. This is a couple years ago. My wife and I are doing this nice little vacation in San Francisco, and I had this bright idea to rent a couple of bikes and go across the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, you know, they gave us, you know, these beach cruisers and, and you know, they gave us the helmets. I'm like, helmets? We don't need no stinking helmets. And, and, and so we just thought, you know, we were going to cruise the Golden Gate Bridge. But what they didn't disclose to us is that also in this little area, probably three feet wide, were all these pedestrians that were walking the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, the pedestrians had an agenda. They were out there to take pictures while they were out there in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, this is a couple years ago when these things were really popular called selfie sticks. Remember these things? You know, like all of these amusement parks outlawed them because they were dangerous, you know, they're weapons. And so we're cruising, enjoying this moment, you know, riding our bikes across the Golden Gate Bridge. And on one side of us, all these pedestrians are stopping, taking selfies with their selfie sticks. On the other side of us were all of these Tour de France guys riding their bikes at like 50 miles an hour. So they're cruising by and they're yelling at her, hey, get her out of the way. I'm like, this is madness. And so I'm, I'm like trying to figure out how we're gonna maneuver through all of this. And my wife is behind me. I'm trying to make sure she's protected. And as I look behind, a guy literally sticks his selfie stick out there to take a selfie of himself. And my wife is heading right towards it and she's gonna get clotheslined. I'm like, Tara, she's like, ah! <laughs> So my wife almost lost her head from somebody taking a selfie. The idea is selfies are a symptom, I believe, of something that is going on in our culture that we probably are a little too obsessed with ourselves, that everything pretty much is about us, and this whole series is kind of breaking it down that God has a different way for us to live, and it's so much better than the way people live that are completely self-absorbed. I gave you the scripture a few weeks ago, and I think it bears repeating in Matthew chapter 16. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus is advocating that, that when you get to a point where you kind of forget about yourself, that you actually find true life. So let me pray this. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. As we get into this Bible study this morning, I pray that you would give us listening ears to hear exactly what you want to say to us. Lord, let us know when we leave this place, God, we had a divine encounter with you. I pray, God, that if there's encouragement that needs to be given, it would be given. If there is inspiration that needs to be given, Lord, that you would give it. And Lord, even if there's correction that needs to be given, God, we are here to listen to what you have to say to our lives. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So how do you get to this point of losing your life in order for you to find it. Now, there's a passage in Colossians, and it's found in chapter 3, and sometimes I like reading from the message. It's, it's not an actual biblical translation. It's kind of more of a, uh, you know, like a paraphrase, if you, if you want to call that. 
But I like how Eugene Peterson, who writes the message, kind of pins this out. He says, so chosen by God for this new life of love. And and that's really what it is. When you kind of leave your life and, and you begin pursuing Jesus, you're pursuing a life of love. He says, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, he says, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment and never be without it. Now, I love this passage because, you know, being a pastor for all the years that I've been a pastor, I have some kind of odd questions that people ask me in their pursuit of really wanting to be right with God. I've had people ask, you know, when I'm asking God for things, should I ask him like specifically on all these little things in my life, like what I'm supposed to wear? And I really don't know how to answer that because I think most of the time God doesn't care what you wear. You know, it's like, is it the Lord's will to wear this jacket today? Is it, you know, I don't know if, if there is something. I do, I do have this story that I had this old shirt that said body piercing saved my life. I got it at some Christian uh, music festival. It was kind of a cool thing. And on the back, I had some hands with some holes in it. Like Jesus, right? Body piercing saved my life, kind of a fun thing. And I did pray, and, and I felt like the Lord said, wear that shirt today. I went to the bank. I ended up having this amazing conversation with this lady that was in line with me and ended up praying for her. So I was like, man, God does care what we wear because that was a cool little God moment uh, for my life. But this is talking about not necessarily the clothes that you wear, but the person that you are. In Colossians, Paul is writing this letter saying, hey guys, we have a choice to put on love. And we got to make that choice. And the more, here's where we're going with this, the more that you're wearing love, the easier it is for us to follow some of those other principles that was written there in Colossians. And notice there, and I highlighted it, it said compassion. Because what you're going to find as you read the Bible and as you read the narrative, especially of what Jesus accomplished in his life, love and compassion go hand in glove. But let's look at what love really is because the Bible defines it. You know, because here's the crazy thing. If you let society define what love is, you're gonna come up with all kinds of answers. Matter of fact, I was doing some studying for this message and I typed in love more because that's the, it, you know, that's the message title today is love more. And so I'm like, hey, what kind of podcast will pop up with love more? And I got a bunch of podcasts about sex. I'm like, that, that is a picture of where we are as a culture, that, that culture has connected love with sex. But the Bible gives us no question what real, true love looks like. And we find it in 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you maybe even had somebody read this during your wedding ceremony. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable 
and keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's love. You know, I've heard messages before where it said that, well, this is perfect God love. Like, like what you can do is just insert the name God in those places. But as you think about what Paul is saying here in this letter, is he's saying, this is our goal. Like, like this is the kind of love that God wants coming from our life. And the more that we are moving towards this kind of love, the less self is going to be involved with our life. Because if you think about all these things, they really go against every selfish impulse that pops up. That this kind of love really stomps out the self-centeredness and selfish desires that flare up in all of us. So let's play a little game here. Let's put up another slide and let's, let's just take out the word love there. And let's put our name in those spots. Just imagine your name. This is kind of almost a, a way to say like, how am I doing when it comes to loving the way that, that God is really wanting me to love from my life? This is kind of, it's sobering. You know, Jim is patient and kind. Well, for the most part, until I can't remember my password for many of the things. <laughs> what is that password? Jim is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Well, most of the time, but there are those times that, you know, that driver does cut me off and, you know, I, you know I'm yelling at him. He doesn't hear me, though, so it doesn't count, you yeah? <laughs> Jim does not demand his own way. Most of the time I do, especially in my marriage. Honey, this is what I want, you know. So we have a marriage retreat, so I'm speaking at it, but I think I need to be listening too. You know? <laughs> Jim is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. Now, I, I know not everyone here is married, but there's been so many times that Tara and I have had this disagreement, and she's really good. Like, she almost became an attorney. She's like, she has a photographic memory, and I can't remember what I did last week. And so I, I told her, I said, you know, on my phone, there's a little notepad. I said, every time I'm right and you're wrong, I'm going to make a note, and just that way I can remind you in, in this conversation. And it's like, I haven't done that. But I'm tempted a lot of times. <laughs> but, but love doesn't do that. Love is like chooses to forget every time that you're wrong. Saying, you know, I'm going to just put it out of my head like it never happened. Jim does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I would agree with that. Jim never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, as you insert your own name, and you kind of do kind of like an internal evaluation of kind of how you're doing with this, it, it makes you uncomfortable because you realize that you have room to grow in this thing called love. That, that God has 
this new way of life that he wants you to be living, and it's all about love. And when you're living this love out, the, the kind of love that God wants us to live out, it really goes against those selfish things that flare up that go totally against what this is saying. I, I like John 3.16. I think it really goes with this series, for God so loved the world that he gave. The kind of love that, that God is after us to live out in our life is always about giving our life away. See, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You know, we talked about giving last week. You, you can do that without really loving, but see, love demands something from you that goes against those self-centered things that are lurking in all of us. And it's not just about people that are a little bit too self-absorbed. We all have selfish desires, the Bible says, and it exists in all of us. Just some of us are a little bit higher on the scale than others, but we all struggle with this. And so the antidote, 1 John chapter 3, the other 316, as I like to call it, it says we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So there you have it again, love and give. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So what this letter that John is writing says, okay, I'm gonna take this one level deeper and say, like, love is all of these things that, that really go against this self-centeredness that we all fight with, but he says love is always doing something. It's always active. That if you're really loving people, there's, there's an action that you're doing. It's not just about talking like, hey, we should help this person. It's about helping that person. Jesus demonstrated this in multiple occasions, and I'm, I'm going to give you three just to kind of highlight. You can write these down and look at them later, but let's look at this first one in the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus isn't just preaching this. He's living this out so that we can actually see this. It says, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. So something about these people that Jesus saw, something was stirring inside of them, and he did something. I love that there was an end there. It wasn't just that he felt something, he felt something, and then he did something. Let's go to the next one. In uh, Mark chapter 1, it says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. So Jesus sees the need. This leper is coming to him, saying there's, 
There's something that I have wrong with me, and the only way that I can be cured is if you are willing to touch me, and this was a no-no. You didn't get around these guys with leprosy because it was a highly contagious disease, and Jesus, you know, in multiple occasions, he wasn't even around the sick person when they were healed. This wasn't a necessity for this man to be healed, but there was something about being touched that Jesus said, I want this man to, to be touched. And he did it, and he healed the man. He was moved inside by what this man was going through, and he did something about it. I don't know if you guys have Matthew chapter 20 on there to go out of order. It says, and Jesus stopped and called these blind men. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he asked, "Uh, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately They received their sight and followed him. So here were two guys. They had a legitimate need in their life. They asked Jesus to help. Jesus was stirred on the inside, and then he did something to help meet their needs. So what I really want to show you, church, is there's one thing to say, man, I really love this person. But what the Bible is really demanding of us is if we are going to go out and say we love somebody, then there's going to be something moved inside of us that will spring us into action. We're actually going to do something from what we're experiencing. Now, the Greek word here for um, move with compassion, splagsnizomai, it almost looks Russian. So this is the idea that there's something stirring in your gut. It says to be moved as to one's bowels is the actual literal Greek translation, to, to be moved as to one's bowels, a bowel movement. <laughs> Say, are we really talking about this at church? Well, this is kind of the Greek's way of saying, I, I, I have this aching. It's like they felt it, almost like a pain that they're experiencing. So when Jesus is being told the needs, he was experiencing this pain that he was saying, I, I've got to do something with this. I, I, I just can't just sit here and, and listen to this and, and not be moved into motion. I, I've got I've to respond by doing something with the splagnizomai that, that is moving inside of me. And, and church, let me tell you, as a culture, we've lost our splagnizomai. We, we've lost this movement in our bowels. And I'm not saying we're struggling with constipation, but I'm saying that there's something that is missing inside that we're not feeling this sense when we are are faced with people that have legitimate needs. There's something that is just not hitting our gut like it used to. And there are people that are coming around us all the time with needs. And I I started really thinking about what's happened not just in our culture, but even within the church, where, where there seems to be a falling off of this compassion, this splagnizomai that we're supposed to be you know, experiencing even more than anybody out there in the world. And, I, and I, it really comes down to three things, I believe. You might want to write these down. We are desensitized. Think about it. We are being blasted with terrible news almost every single hour of our day. We hear about catastrophic events 
within 30 minutes of it happening. No, 30 years ago, people didn't live that way. You know, you'd have to wait almost till the morning paper came to be able to find out what's happening. And, and, you know, from mass shootings to major hurricanes or tornadoes to uh, people that, that are going through wars. And it's like, we're hearing this stuff in real time. Going back to the Las Vegas shooting, I, I mean, our daughters heard about this through social media before Fox News or CNN or any major network was even playing it. It was already graphic images were, were just filling up social media. And we wonder why we're living in an age of anxiety. It's because we are, we are being hit almost every hour with terrible news. But see, the other side of the coin for this is you can be so inundated with terrible news that all of a sudden terrible news becomes the norm. And all of a sudden, another mass shooting happens in New Zealand. And it just, for a lot of people, it's just like, oh, it's so terrible. It's another mass shooting. It's like, what? And we're reading on our news feed. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so's baby started walking. And, and we're going through our news feed. And oh, and, and look at the new recipe. I can make, you know, chicken in a different way. And, and oh, there's a terrible mass shooting in New Zealand. And, and oh, look, you know, so-and-so got married. And it's, it's, it's just going right past us. Like every major traumatic, catastrophic situation that comes, I mean, we should be devastated inside. We should be hurting. There should be an ache inside of us going, that's not right. And I don't care if it was a Muslim community, a Christian community, a young community, old community, gay community, straight community. Every single person that has lost their life is somebody that had unsurpassable worth that Christ died for. And we should care about it, church. It should hurt when we see news like that. So we're desensitized. But the other thing I believe is part of the problem is that we're also disconnected. We live in an age of being socially connected, but really we're more disconnected than we've ever been before. I was surveying our Bakersfield church not too long ago, asking them, do you even know the name of the neighbor that lives next door to you? And you know, half the people didn't even know who they lived next door to. This is wild. We were doing a surf project uh, in the, the trailer park a couple weeks ago for our serve day, and we met a woman walking her dog, and, and you know we were asking her, like, hey, do you know some people in the area that really could use some help? And, and she's like, no, not really. You know, I know your group's here helping, and, and uh, you know, I, I really don't know anybody. And I said, oh, did you just move here? She goes, no, I've lived here 24 years. It's like there's something about us that our privacy has become so important that we really don't even know who the people are that are around us. We're disconnected. And here's the third thing, and I believe this is probably the biggest culprit to really us losing that splognizomai, that gut-aching feeling of like hurt and compassion, is that we're distracted. There are so many things we're dealing with on a daily basis. Scotty, my brother of another mother, he says, too many minds. I like that. It's 
because we have so many of these things that we're trying to organize and deal with from our family situations to our, maybe our personal health situations to our, our work situations. And, and then on top of that, you know, we're, we're like uh, doing all of this extra stuff and, and the, the age of, of technology. It's so, it's so funny to me. I, I did a, a series years ago and I was looking at some of the technology that was coming of age in the 1950s. And these experts with the technology of the 1950s, they predicted because of the new technology that was coming out in the 1950s, that the average American work week would be reduced to 30 hours by 1980 because of the, because of the advancements in technology. Is that crazy? So, so here we are, We're, we are so tech oriented and, and we've had so many advances in the last 20 years, even since the 1980s, and our work weeks haven't shrunk. They've actually increased. We're actually working more than we've ever worked in our lives, and we have all of this stuff that's occupying our headspace, and here's the problem. As long as you're in your head, you're not able to see what's around you. And all of those distractions and all those things that you're fighting with and t- trying to sort out, the more that you're inside, you're not able to see what's on the outside. We got to figure this out. How do we get back to this place that Jesus has called us to, that the Spirit of God is trying to move inside of us to get that like, needs of mind? Because see, if we want to see a movement of God, it begins with letting God start moving inside of us. We have to get back to that place. How do I feel this in my gut to where I can't just walk away from this? It, it, it just tells me I've got to act on this. I've got to do something about this. I, I challenge you with these two principles before we get you out of here. Number one, let's put yourself in front of God. God is love. So if love and compassion are directly connected, the more that you're in front of God, the more of the love of God that you're going to be have deposited inside of you. And it's going to be that much easier to love people in this selfless kind of way that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 when you're spending time with the one who is love. Amazing things happen when you're spending time in front of God because God is depositing his love for humanity inside of you but he's also changing your heart. See, what I've discovered and what the Bible tells us is that you may be really good at changing somebody's mind, but only God can change somebody's heart. And so if there are people in your life that you're just like frustrated with, come on, we all know somebody. We're like, hopefully you're not sitting next to him right now, right? We're like, man, I'm frustrated. Like I'm trying to convince them. Only God can change their hearts. And so how we change our hearts and how we help change other people's hearts is we take them before God. We take ourselves before God. I've noticed something about prayer, and the Bible even teaches this, that as I begin praying for people that I'm having a hard time with, I notice that not only is that person going to be changed by the power of God, but as I continue to pray for that person, guess what happens? God begins changing my heart about how I feel towards that person. That he begins giving me 
an extra scoop of love and forgiveness as I'm bringing them before God because as I'm bringing them before God, what God is doing is he's softening my heart back up again towards that person. And we all have somebody in our life that, come on, has done some things or maybe said some things and we can kind of feel our heart getting a little irritable and a little hard about them. And what God says is bring that person before me on a daily basis. And not only are you going to watch me bring that person a breakthrough for their own lives, you're going to see me change your heart and how you feel towards that person. But when you're putting yourself in front of God, he's, he's changing hearts. And he's, and he's putting that aching feeling so that you won't be able to pass somebody by. There are times when I see somebody maybe that's flashing a sign or, or looking like they're struggling where I don't feel that nudge. But I tell you, there are other times that I cannot ignore that nudge. I've got to go do something about that person. Maybe it's going and, and buying them some lunch, or maybe it's just, hey, can I pray for you? I just really sense that you're going through something. I was at the gym the other day, and there was a receptionist there that was there checking people in and out, and I just had to stop, and I said, you know what? You're always saying hi, but I just hear, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I just feel like I'm here today to pray for you. And she's like, man, I'm going through a lot. Like, I just kind of sensed it. But it's, it's God that gives me that ability to sense when those people need that little extra touch because he starts moving my bowels, right? Second thing is put yourself in people's shoes. What do I mean by putting yourself in people's shoes? You've heard the expression, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. People understand that concept because what you need to understand is everybody is struggling with something. Everybody is battling something. Everybody is, is facing an issue either with their life, with their family's life, and maybe a close friend's life. And this is something that we need to just kind of like pull ourselves back and say, whoa, what must it be like to be in their situation? Because the more you can visualize being in somebody else's shoes, the more of that ache you're going to feel. Now, see, these look just like shoes, regular shoes, maybe a dollar or five dollars at the, you know, at the yard sale. But I'm telling you, every pair of these shoes has a story attached to it. Just like your shoes have a story attached to it. But let me just kind of walk you through these shoes. And I know not all of you can see these shoes, but to my left is the shoes belonging to a guy that is in his late 40s that has been a struggling drug addict since his, his uh, late teen years. He's been in rehab after rehab and he just continues to struggle and continues to want to be set free. And his battle is a daily battle of trying to stay sober and trying to stay off of things. And, and he, he just has... A lot of issues, unresolved issues with dad and a lot of these things that are just beating him up, that are just, just allowing him to be in that struggle constantly. Uh, these pair of shoes here represent a single mom that are working really hard 
to just get by and, and trying to juggle not only just working and bringing money in, but also just trying to figure out how, who's going to take care of the kids. I got to go here. Go, who's going to watch them? And they're involved in sports and they're involved in act, extracurricular things. And I, I don't know if you've ever thought about, like my wife and I, we have three kids and I'm thinking a lot of times of, of single parents, not just moms, but single dads just going, wow. Like I feel a lot of times like just two of us is not enough. Like there should be another two or three. Like we should have like, you know, I won't go there. Um, people are like, hmm, what were you going to say? Sometimes you don't want to know these thought bubbles in here. All I'm saying is that Put yourself in the shoes of, of a single parent and just think, wow, what would it be like to try to juggle all of those things and, and keep sanity and keep everybody happy? Uh, these shoes right here represent a, a precious couple to me that have walked a very, very tragic situation out for their life. They were at the Las Vegas shooting and they lost their 20-year-old daughter. I, I just... You know, when this event happened, I mean, my daughter was 19, my other daughter was 21, so, so Bailey was right in the middle of my two daughters, and I immediately was like, wow, like, how would I handle that? And it moved me. I spent days with them, and we still are, are very close to this day, but I'm just like, can you imagine putting yourself in their shoes over what they're going through. Uh, these pair of shoes right here belong to a former prostitute. And she was raised in a situation where money was tough and some wrong people came into her life and convinced her to start selling her body for sex. And she got into this cycle and she couldn't break free from it. A pimp came into her life, started beating her up. And by the grace of God, she was able to get out of that whole industry, but for years and years and years, she sold her body and had to deal with all of the stuff that comes with that. The shoes right next to those other shoes belong to uh, a girl that has no mom or dad, was, was raised in foster care and went from home to home to home, rejection after rejection after rejection, causing all kinds of things like depression, suicide, and and I was just thinking like, wow, what would it be like from being moved from home to home to home? I got a, another pair of shoes that represent a, a widow, somebody that lost her spouse and just through a sickness and just, I was thinking like, that's, that's crazy. Another pair of boots, somebody diagnosed with cancer. And another pair of shoes representing some people that, that had their two-year-old daughter that passed away. So all these shoes tell a story, and what God is telling Atmosphere Church this morning is if you really want to start feeling that splagnizomai in your life again, then not only do you put yourself in front of God, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. Say, so what would it feel like to be them right now? And the more that you're focused on that, the Holy Spirit will give you the capacity to begin feeling what they feel. And when you begin feeling that in your gut, it's going to move you to do something about the help that that person needs. Because everybody needs somebody in their life. And God may have put you in somebody's life for such a time as this. 
There was a, a friend of mine, it was a weird post, but he said, my wife and I are getting a divorce. He, he posted that. It was so weird to me. But then I started reading like the praying hands or the sad face and the comments. I'm like, forget of that. Forget leaving a comment. I'm calling this guy. So I got on the phone with him and I spent like an hour and we went to prayer and a lot of tears and, and, and we moved him into action. And next weekend, praise God, him and his wife are going to the couples retreat and they're gonna see healing happen in their marriage. I believe it. But folks, we have to look at this and say there are people that God has placed in your life so that you can love them well. And the more that you love them, the more that you're compassionate towards them, the less self you are. So you selfless when you love more. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.